back in elementary, thrived on misery, left me alone, I grew up amongst a dime breed, inside my mind couldn't find a place to rest, until I got that dug like tatted on my chest, tell me can you feel me, I'm not living in the past, you wanna last, be the first to blast, remember Cato, no longer with the seat the seats, call on the sirens, seen them murdered in the streets, now rest in peace, is there heaven for a G, remember me, so many homies in the cemetery shed so many tears, I suffered through the years and shed so many tears. Alright y'all, what is going on? This is your man L. Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got the facts. Uh, today we have a little bit to get into. Uh, we have a word on the street segment. I want to get through two stories there. I also want to get through some college football. Also uh, some uh, Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about some end of the year awards. Uh, well, at least the uh, all MLB team. I wanted to get into the big news coming from MLB, which is the lockdown. And we're going to talk about some of the free agency that was able to go down before we had the stoppage. So, uh, well, uh, like further ado, uh, let's just go ahead and get into it. And uh, we're on the street. And we're going to start off with the, well, I guess the big news story of the week uh, with the shooting at Oxford High School in Michigan. Now, um, there, of course, is a string of events that lead up towards this, uh, beginning with the purchase of the 9mm semi-automatic uh, by James Crumbly, the father of the shooting, Ethan. And uh, eventually, Ethan would also go on that same day to post on social media, you know, with the captions, just got my new beauty today. Now, mind you, I tell people all the time, stop posting with your weapons on social media. It's an easy way for them to track you. Again, possession and you being a minor or whoever you are, it's, start, it's, it's a weird, fine line. Don't put yourself in that predicament. And if you do something, of course, they have a social media string to tie you to. So, again, and um, again, he would end up uh, being caught at his school searching up ammunition for his gun uh, by school personnel. I don't know how they were able to, you know, maybe they were peeping over his shoulder or something. I don't know. Maybe he was on a uh, school, school, no, he was calling his cell phone. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they were looking over his shoulder or something and just being hella nosy. But anyways, his mother didn't seem to be that worried about it. She says, I'm not mad. You got to learn to not get caught. Blah, 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 blah. Of course, unaware, you know, not good parent material right there. Again, that would have been a red flag. First of all, I wouldn't have been bought a gun, but that's, I mean, now, I understand that there's guys that I know, right? They grew up, you know, in a hunting family or like on a ranch or something. And, you know, their father buys them or gives them the family rifle. I That shit, ah, that's one thing. And I know you ain't going to be no active school shooter. I love them motherfuckers. You know, the hunters, oh, man, they some raw motherfuckers. Some of them motherfuckers is cool. They down-to-earth people. These weird, I'm just, I don't want to pass too much judgment on the parents because we don't know all about them. But I don't know. Of course, they just got that other side of the tracks vibe, if you know what I mean. 
And you know what I'm saying? Like purchasing somebody like a handgun like that, I think you kind of give them credence to kind of do whatever and end up shooting somebody. I think you give credence to whatever they had in mind on doing with that. And you know, there's just certain purchases you don't make for certain people. And if you was really into it, in tune as a parent and knowing your kid, I wouldn't have did that. But again, I don't think these people were good parents. Like, I don't think they were necessarily that good of people. So, anyways, uh, there's this situation with this note that they see that the school sees. Uh, they call in a parent-teacher meeting. Apparently, he ended up, you know, erasing shit on the, the, the drawing and all that. It was all supposed to be bloody and all that. That, I don't know. All that, that's, that's irrelevant because, again, they did well in that meeting they did advise that they should get the kid ethan into some the parents james and jennifer were advised on getting the kidneys into into some counseling which i feel probably could have been the case um you know but again they rejected that but it just kind of goes to show you um just kind of the the links that they go through for certain students. I mean, I'm just saying, it. I, if I, honestly, if I feel like if it was a black student, it wouldn't take this far for him to be suspended. He probably would have to just post on online and he'll probably get suspended or if not expelled. I'm just saying, I, I hate to put that out there, but I, I think that's just kind of how they just, just view the justice system and how they view how they want to divvy out punishments for us. Um, okay, now one around 1 p.m., uh, this is going to be, I believe, November the 30th, uh, maybe, yeah, I think maybe a day after that. I can't remember the exact date here, but it was around 1 p.m. Of course, the shooting will pop off. Um, now, this is the cold part. 22 minutes later, after the news about the attacks break, she texts she text, uh, the mom, uh, Jennifer texts uh, Ethan, don't do it. Oh, my God. Too late. Uh 137 I don't mean to sound like that but I mean come on now like that's ridiculous wow y'all just y'all some real smart motherfuckers right James would end up calling 911 reporting that the gun missing um, was missing from his house and he believed that his son may be the shooter the gun that he purchased on the 26th 26th excuse me had been stored in an unlocked drawer they had commercials on YouTube about this locking up your guns. God damn, you dumb motherfucker! Y'all not even look. What do y'all do with y'all life? See, y'all just, y'all just don't. Y'all just goofy. Anyways, the gun recovered from the shooter at the school after the shooting was the same gun. You know what it is. Um, oh my god! Like, I'm, I'm, I'm very disappointed and I'm very sad about the lives lost. But I just feel like. Motherfuckers just are just stupid and just lazy parents, and I, I think it's ridiculous that four students had to be killed because people want to be reckless people, and they and they take that shit into parenting. I think that's a disgrace, and they should be ashamed of themselves. And I I I think it's no wonder that you know the laws decided to hold them accountable uh, by putting them up for manslaughter. So of course they were on the run. Uh, they ended up being. Um, Excuse me. They ended up being, um, of course, apprehended eventually. I think they were placed on a $500,000 bond. Uh, we will see what goes with that. Uh, but again, you know, uh, it's just, I mean, he's been charged as an adult. But it's so funny because 
you know, you think about that, right? But guess what? Guess what? No, let me just say this. Let me just say this fact. Ethan Crumbly will be charged as an adult with four counts of first-degree murder, one count of terrorism causing death, seven counts of assault with intent to murder, and 12 counts of possession of possession of a firearm in the, in the commission of a felony. Okay, that's fine. But you know what? Tamir Rice was shot for having a toy fucking gun. You fucking serious, bro? Again, he gets to see the fucking judge. And motherfuckers is getting shot for not even having guns. I'm just saying, just the lack of, again, and I will say this, and, you know, not to not to take anything, not to fall back on what I've said about Ennis Cantor in the past. I like his pro-China stance. This is not, this comment is not towards him. This is, this is for his dick riders, his pro-American dick riders. I understand him being of Turkish descent from that area of the world, being very critical of China, yada, yada, yada. But the but you pro-American or you American people riding his dick when you know America got these type of flaws, fuck y'all. Fuck you. Ennis Cantor, you good. You can do what you want. I'm not worried about you, but the Americans that be dick riding you, knowing goddamn well America got some issues of its own, fuck y'all. I hope y'all hang out to dry. That's how I feel about y'all. That's weak shit. That's weak shit. I'm not saying that, you know, he ain't going to go to jail. He might not face, you know what I'm saying? But we got, we killing motherfuckers with no guns at all. That's a problem, bro. That's a problem. But he gets to see the jury. He gets to see a fucking jury again. Ain't no telling what's going to happen. I'm just saying. That made me very mad and I had to take it there. But I just be thinking about that shit. But. That just goes to show you just where we still at. So I hope he gets the stiffest sentences possible. I hope his parents, matter of fact, his parents should probably be facing st uh, stiffer sentences. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, but I, I think they definitely need to be going to jail for a very, very long time. And, you know, really, I, how is he not a threat? But somebody with a toy gun is. But somebody without a gun is. That's... That's what annoys me. That's what annoys me. I'm sorry. I'm until that shit stops. That's man. No, no. I'm, and we can, we can, man. We can keep going in, but I'm not. We have other things to talk about. A lot of other things to talk about today. Um, but anyways, uh, let's take a segue. Man, I don't know how to make a segue into this topic right here. Um, well, you know how last week I talked about. Well, no, earlier this week we talked about idolatry. Um, and uh, mentioning how, you know, we kind of worship people in celebrity status and we neglected certain things like nature. Well, this is uh, one of those uh, results of that. Um, now, it's 50, as currently as about Thursday, uh, was 55 degrees and sunny at the Sugar Bowl Resort in Tahoe. Now, Jamal, they talk, they, I know you're thinking El Jamal or Jamal, however you know me. Or Jay, what the, what the hell, Tahoe, the fuck, right, Tahoe, right, well, let me go on, currently, the opening season, or ski season, is being delayed, real winter, in a way, because of warm weather, and it's listed as TBD, now, this is just at the resort, but in reality, 
there's some more serious news coming in. Winter hasn't quite arrived in Tahoe or the parts of the Cascades in California or the Sierra Nevada, so on and so forth, in the high elevations in the time that it normally would be piling on. A new study led by researchers at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory found that dwindling snowpack across California and the western United States could shrink dramatically more or in some cases disappear. You see why I say fuck Kanye? You see why I say stop dick riding people like Jay-Z? Stop trying to fall into whatever these, you know, corporate media entities want you to lie in. Like when it, again, it's okay to listen to this music. It's okay to watch the football games at some time, but make sure you fall back and you understand what's going on in the bigger picture too. That's all I'm saying. And, that, and again, maybe that's my, my you know, place here to help y'all out with that. I'm not saying that I'm super special. I'm not going to know, but I'm just going to give you other examples of what's going on and other things to look at. While we look at the, the little sports and the love and hip hop, okay? That's all I'm going to provide you with. Even within those confines, even within sports, my thing is to get you the different idea and to get you to understand that there's different ways of looking at these situations, okay? That's all we're here for. That's all I'm here for. I'm just saying. Now, why is the snowpack essential? to our ecosystem, at least in the state of California, well, in the West of the United States, but particularly in California, my home state. This has potentially catastrophic consequences, according to this study, including massive implications it holds for our state's water supply. It also will have effects on the soil, the plants, and also the wildlife. And, of course, you'll have more wildfires, which seems to be a big topic of discussion in this state. Now, California has already experienced its hottest summer on record this year, while LA and San Diego have both saw their driest Novembers in decades, and these are generally dry areas in the first place, but again, we're talking about virtually no rain. Now, in the Bay Area and Northern California, you've had a couple rainstorms, but again, um, that has um, only done enough to provide us 60% of our normal water supply or almost, you know, well, we're still well off. We're still in extreme drought. We'll get to more of that in a second. Now, we also, you know, again, this is according to this uh, study, again, the worst effects will be felt in California where areas, well, where snowpack in the Sierra Nevada and the Cascade Ranges could decline by almost 50% in 2050, compared with 25% in the other uh, western mountain ranges, like the Rockies and the Wasatch Uinta. Now, we're talking about uh, water supplies for all those different areas and those different communities in those areas as well. Jeffrey Mount, a water scientist at the Public Policy Institute of California, said that the level of snow loss could fundamentally alter life in the Golden State. This is his quote, where mountains have historically served as a critical resource for regional, regional water supplies by capturing, storing, and releasing moisture downstream. 
Again, this is how a lot of us have gotten our water for many years and generations, going back to the first inhabitants. He also said, importantly, slow melting of snow each spring and summer has acted like a long, sorry, has long acted like a time release that provides more water at a moment of persist, uh, sorry, at more water at a moment when precipitation tends to stop and demands begin to surge towards like our backup water supply. Snowpack on April 1st when it's typically its deepest was only 60% of its average this year. So we're not getting a lot of snow and it's affecting our water supply. This is according to the California Department of Water Resources. Now, this is a very important quote here. I wanted to highlight this one. And this quote is coming from Erica Saria Woodburn, a research scientist at the Berkeley Lab and another co-author of the study. She went on to say it's hard to disentangle this really interconnected system, which means there's a lot of pieces that work together in order for the entire ecosystem to work. This is the same for any ecosystem. You can go to the fucking tundra. You can go to the polar ice cap. They're all essential to each other. We as humans fit into this thing as well. But what's happened is we've made ourselves and our images and people who look like us become the gods and all that and they deserve our worship. But no, no, no. Not the plants. And this is where you got guys got the, the shit distorted. You worry about the fetishism they they warned you about that but they didn't tell you about the conservationism that these people were all about and that we seem to forget we'll get into why we're going to get into why the snowpack is being affected and we're going to talk about why it's our problem and we've done it to ourselves now low snow as uh when this well low snow when we're talking about the snowpack and we're talking about or the water equivalent from that and it that's really pretty much what it is it's, it's snow water and uh slow snow is defined as when these levels fall below the 30 percentile of a historical peak no snow is when that number falls below the 10 percentile now california has already seen devastating effects from this when it when it dropped to five percent in 2015 so virtually no snowpack and i tell you this we was in a drought then too did you know that technically we were but the state could not but the state excuse me but the state could now start to experience these episodic periods for five years of low or no snow as soon as the 2040s so we're talking devastating effects to the water supply with a state this big with a lot with all these different people here okay now here we go what's the biggest culprit to this nobody wants to hear it but again here we are climate change warming temperatures at least in this side of the world mean Precipitation is falling as rain instead of snow. And rain has less water, it has less water storage potential than snow. So there you go. But what is this climate change being started by? 
Greenhouse gas emissions. Sorry. It's not a lie. <laughs> There's no, I don't know what we can, I don't know what else we can tell you guys. Or what else people can tell y'all. I don't know. It's it's sad. I know some people don't want to admit it. No, but I know. And then you got, you know, greedy politicians on both sides. Not really telling you the truth. They're being disingenuous about it. A lot of them, really. Um, again, uh, it's an unfortunate situation. Can it be changed, though? Yes. Uh, there are some resolutions to it, of course. Cutting down on carbon emissions, uh, of course, that would m mean more so looking into investing into renewable energy. Um, again, I know people are iffy about that, but... Uh, there's actually, you know, evidence that it could work. And I think instead of uh, emphasizing in just one, like we see with electric cars, I think we like or electricity or electric or EV in general, we should probably, you know, diversify being as big of a state as we are and look into wind, look into solar, look into all those different things, uh, even biofuels. So, again, there's an opportunity to do that there. That's income. That's industry. And people don't again, people aren't looking into it in that way. They're just looking into it as, you know, political shit. Oh, that's just something that liberals want to do. And, you know, that's that's, the uh, uh, again, another negative, closed minded way to look at it. And that's why many states have been left behind in terms of uh, picking up their slack when, uh, you know, their corporations or when U.S. corporations decide to do work elsewhere. That's 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 a that's a gym for you guys today. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to be talking some college football. Not only are we going to get into some Pac-12 championship talks uh, we're also going to talk, uh, of course, Mario Cristobal, what's going on with him. We have some serious things to get into there as well. And then, um, like I said, we're going to get into the MLB after that. So, all right, y'all, I'll be right back. You can't stop it, block it, when I drop it. Anytime I go rhyme for rhyme on the topic. They ain't even fit to step in Shaq's arena. I look inside your mind and I see your shook demeanor. some college football and of course the resident Pac-12 West Coast Oregon football resident here you know fan here I guess uh we got to talk about the Pac-12 title game um I think the biggest takeaway again uh is the final score 38 to 10 uh Utah handles business um is it Oregon being a bad team or is it Utah uh, is just really good. I think Utah is really good on different phases of the ball. Uh, they play really good defensively. I think Utah has played great defensively.
defensively all year. I think Cameron Rising didn't have a great game, but the offense itself still scored around its you know average, which is 38 points plus a game. As for Oregon, they did play down to expectations, but um, again, it's been indicative of what's been holding us back this entire year. Anthony Brown, uh, for much of the season, I tried to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt just because, you know, he's had some experience, he's a graduate transfer, but as the season, you know, kind of progressed, I kind of saw his real flaws and um, just uh, an unwillingness of, of going down the field, too many check downs, too many real bad decisions. 13 to 24 uh, yesterday from him, 147 yards, two picks. Travis Dye would have 82 rushing yards and a round and a late touchdown. Uh, Noah Sewell was the standout defensively, uh, really going hard for the Ducks. 12 total tackles, he will force a pick and he would force a fumble. The Ducks would have two cru- crucial, uh, inter- sorry, two crucial, yeah, well, they were interceptions in the first half. Uh, they also, again, uh, would force a fumble, uh, but they would not leave to, to real scores. And um, it, it was some offensive uh, issues there now. Um, I'm not going to take anything away from Utah. And the, again, Utah winning, Utah winning this way again in this uh, kind of blowout faction, in my opinion, almost proves my point that I was making uh, when I was talking about Lincoln Riley. Good luck winning here. If Oregon, and, and people can, and, and again, it's like, I feel like if you're going to disrespect ranked teams like Oregon and go out of your way to overlook ranked teams or the fact that Utah has been ranked all season long and not really considered them a good team, then what the fuck do we do these rankings for? Um, if they really don't matter, if we're just going to sit there and bash these, these guys in the media anyways, Utah has been a good team for a long time. This is their first Pac-12 title, and I couldn't see it going to any more of a deserving team. And this is coming from the heart of a Ducks fan. And then this is how I know the rest of the media out there that you've been listening to, guys, particularly college football-wise, it's very biased, and it's really crude. And this is why college football is a little bit farther behind than the rest of these different leagues. Um, even in the college leagues, you have so many teams in college basketball. Sorry, yes, in, in college basketball, so many teams, so many fan bases, but they all get a crack at all the love and the, and the admiration through the championship. This right here from the rankings and everything, it's almost like, you know, some people, you know, it's like, you know, the top 25 doesn't matter for certain teams. Like, oh, so what if this team is ranked? What, what difference does that make? What difference does that make if Utah has earned their way to a, to a, uh, to, to a Rose Bowl? You know what I'm saying? Oh, the Pac-12 is just that whack. Well, when when Utah pretty much rolls over, whoever they're going to get placed in in the Rose Bowl with, with which I see happening, it's going to either be Ohio State or uh, at this point Michigan State. Maybe I wouldn't see. I wouldn't you know be surprised if they got blown out. Uh, that being the Big Ten squad, Ohio State with the, with the way Ohio State and and Michigan State has played, I wouldn't be surprised if Utah could beat both of those teams. Just saying. Just I'm just being real with you. Even Michigan uh, could be put on notice by this team from what I'm seeing here. Um, now, again, Cameron Rising didn't have one of his best games, uh, but he had two total touchdowns, one through the air, uh, one on the ground. He would throw two picks, 15-24. to 24. Uh, But, again, um, you know, the rushing game was there. And, again, the, the rushing, you know, the rushing defense for Oregon wasn't. Um, there was a couple of times where they were able to force uh, some, a couple bad plays, again, with the picks. Um, just through them pressuring rising, but again, the running, the 
sorry, the rush defense wasn't there. Uh, you had uh, Tavion Thomas, uh, 63 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. TJ Pleasure would get a rushing touchdown as well. Uh, tight end Dalton Kincaid would get four catches for 61, 61 yards and a touchdown. And defensively for Utah, they would force four sacks, which I think was one of the biggest keys uh, throughout the game. And again, just you know, showcasing the the real flaws of somebody like Anthony Brown, just no real pocket awareness. Um, Devin Lloyd uh, will be a part of that as well. Um, Malone uh, Mataele, I think, will get a interception. I think he was to be the one who would get the interception. So again, um, as a as a as an Oregon fan, yes, bad game. Um, I honestly feel like uh, you know. There's a lot of good things that Mario Cristobal has done since he's been here in Oregon. He's definitely pushed the recruiting, um, you know, the recruiting, you know, he's incentivized recruiting and really makes recruiting recruiting a priority. And that has shown with the amount of talent that we've been able to get. I think he's we've finally been able to cross, into, cross over into that top five nationally as opposed to just being, you know, one of the top recruiting classes in the conference and then just getting our random force five star recruit here and there to just being able to recruit in different states. Um, you know, we've definitely come a long way. But then there's also some things that I feel like, you know, he he hasn't really turned the corner on with us. And I, w- I will say offensively is one of them. Um, now I respect the approach to a SEC, you know, I respect the at least turn to a SEC approach, you know, more power, more physical, but I have yet to see where that's shown up. And I will honestly say at least under the years of Chip Kelly and maybe even a couple first couple years of Mark Helfrich, yeah, these were finesse teams, but we're putting up 40 points a game. So um, at the very least, we would have maybe lost a game like this, but at least we would have been competent offensively. Um, I thought this was a very slow-paced offense. It's very methodical, and it's almost like if you do get bugged down by poor quarterback play or just not being able to move at all, you just you just look very sluggish and lethargic. And um, I didn't like that. But again, Utah played into what their strengths were. And they're still a good team, so and they're well coached. So I'm not gonna take again. I'm not taking anything away from you. So I'm just highlighting what I saw from Oregon. Um, you know, and as a West Coast football fan, I, I think again it's it's a good chance uh, to see again, you know, a worthy team, you know, going out there and getting the job done. Um, you know, again, Utah has been a top twenty-five team for a good amount of the season. They'll be. They've earned themselves a spot in the World's Bowl, so I wouldn't have. I, I you know, I wouldn't have won a lost. I mean, I, you know, couldn't have lost to a. You know, we could have lost to a more value value team, in my opinion. Um, again, they're sleeping on us completely. Um, I feel that Utah will put whatever team they play in the Rose Bowl on notice, and they might even. I think they, you know, are a good line to win that game with the way that they've been playing. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, a good game for West Coast football, in my opinion. Um, moving on, uh, there is that underlying story that we do have about, well, Oregon's head coach, Chris Mario Cristobal. And uh, Miami has a, a recently expressed interest in Cristobal services, of course, uh, wanting to tap him as, his, as their HC. 
And um, I definitely think that there's truth to that. Uh, there's always kind of schools knocking on his door. Um, has he done anything of note to kind of displace those rumors or say, hey, I'm staying here? No. And this is why if I'm Oregon, I'm going to be honest with you. And, uh, and, and maybe and maybe this is just me being a, a victim of the moment. But honestly, I probably wouldn't be jumping to offer him anything right now until he says, look, this is what I want to do. I, you know, realize there's still more work to do here. I'm willing to resign here. Then we can work from it from there because at least I have his interest. But there's no point in me coming up with a contract if he's just going to go to Miami. Um, particularly with what I've seen the past few weeks, you know. Um, I, I think the willingness, the unwillingness to kind of switch things up offensively, I didn't like that. And, um, you know, and I mean that quarterback. I think we should have uh, switched to Ty Thompson um, a long time ago. Um, maybe even, you know, try to put him in around, you know, you know, start him around UCLA. I think Anthony Brown and the willingness to just keep him in there really hampered us offensively because there's obviously things that he just cannot do. And his, his limitations were, are too, are way too obvious and they're way too stifling for our offense and what we're trying to do and what it seemed like we were trying to do. And I, and I just wish they would have at least tried to go in a different direction just to see what would have happened. And uh, we probably would have finished with the same record and maybe even nine and three like Utah. I mean, and you know, and I and I think you know, you know, it's just it's just difficult to see because I just I just don't like a loss like that. Despite you know Utah being a good team, right? at the same time it just it does make our program look bad in in, in that sense too. And it's just like it just seemed to me like he just didn't have everybody on point and ready to go. And that's again that's. If I'm, if I'm the AD, seeing a game like that, I would have to know that he's fully committed before I'm offering anything because I just didn't see like he. It almost did. I mean, it's and it's kind of fucked up because, again, Lincoln Riley had those type of games where he just didn't seem to be in it and his team would lose and then he ends up you know jumping and bailing. And to be honest. Crystal ball jumping and leaving wouldn't hurt my feelings. With a game like this, and with the short, with the with the with the comings of with the coming up short that I've seen with him, anyways, it wouldn't even hurt me, bro. I'd just be like, okay, like let's go, because I mean, I, I want somebody committed to seeing us win a championship. You know what I'm saying? And I think this team recruits super well. This team has some of the no, this team has some of the best facilities in the nation. And it's a disgrace that we can't even, you know, we can't even look good in a game like this, you know, even in an L. You know, there's no moral victories, even if you lose or whatever, but at least have the boys looking competent and looking like they want to get something done, you know. And, and this is a team that we probably could have beat in, in most years. That's the problem, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it just goes to show you just how good really the Pac-12 is and we're not getting a lot of love again Utah as a coach, I mean, as a team that's been coached by the same staff for a very long time, it's the consistency that matters. Who knows what will happen with Oregon next year? That's what I was talking about when we were talking. You know, when we were talking again earlier in the week. You know about you know the Pac-12. You know, all these new coaches. Washington just hired somebody. Uh, Washington State has an interim. Of course, we were talking about USC. Just brings in Lincoln Riley. 
you know, very few teams have had coaches that would last over have lasted over the three year mark. That's Cal. Uh, that's Oregon. We and we don't even know what's going to happen with Crystal Ball right now. You also have Chip Kelly at USC, and then you have uh, I can't uh, is it I think it's Kyle Whittingham over there um, at at Utah. So that's there's very a very few amount of coaches that are actually entrenched in that squad right now. So um, and I believe next year we're I think we'll get, be getting to that third season for Arizona State and Herm Edwards. So. Again, you know, Arizona has a new coach. Uh, Oregon State has a relatively new coach. That's what we're seeing right now in the big t- in the in the Pac-12. So, a lot of turnover at head coach. That's an important thing. You know, um, Mel Tucker was just at Colorado. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, these are things that we have to look at when we when we you know start comparing all these different conferences. We have to look at really what's going on. Uh, with them and you know top 25 finishes you know ball game wins those are those are victories in themselves um as well you know saying they're not the of course they're not the grand uh championship prize of course but again would you be rather would you rather have 10 wins and you know possibly a ball game or you know five wins and nothing because the the teams that are going to the ball games or and or national championship, those are the teams that are getting seen in those extra games by those pro scouts. So you know, so you have it what you want. So I think the Oregon job is I think is is attractive um, to say the least. Um, I think whoever you know will come here, I, I, and I think Oregon it kind of goes, it kind of keeps going away from the mode of getting the high. At least the I wouldn't say a high ceiling guy, but a high notoriety guy. I think they keep out of that norm, keep with that norm, and not go with that. Um, so we'll have to be inter- It'll be interesting to see with who who they were to get uh, if Chris the ball leaves. Um, according, of course, our offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead uh, actually just left to Akron, so that'll be interesting going into whatever ball game we have. So there's some there's already some changes going on in this coaching staff. So again, that's just again that's just kind of to show you just the nature, particularly of Pac-12 football. Anyway, so let's move on. We do have some other news to get into. Um, we had another uh, conference championship game played last night, and it was for the Conference USA uh, champ conference championship. And uh, UTSA, aka UT San Antonio, was able to get it done against Western Kentucky. Forty-nine to forty-one was the final score. UTSA moved to twelve and one, and Western Kentucky goes to eight and five. For West Kentucky, they were led by quarterback. Bailey Zapp. He would go 30 zip, 36 of 59 for 577 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions. Running back Kyle Robichau would have a rushing touchdown. Uh, Rod receiver Jared Stearns would have 10 receptions for 179 yards and two touchdowns. And ride out Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley will get nine catches for 173 yards and two touchdowns. And defensively for Western Kentucky, linebacker Demetrius Kane will get 11 total tackles. For UTSA, quarterback Frank Harris will go 19 to 28 for 218 yards, two touchdowns. He would also have 81 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Running back Cecilia McCormick would have a monster game, 204 rushing yards, three touchdowns, and uh, Brendan Brady would have a rushing touchdown as well. Defensively, Rashad Wisdom would get eight total, sorry, eight total tackles, and safety Jamal Sam will get seven total tackles. 
and one interception. Uh, moving on, we do have uh, some coaching news to talk about. Uh, looks like Notre Dame uh, has made that next step. Um, they looks like they will be promoting their defensive coordinator to that head coaching spot. Uh, Notre Dame has elevated defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman, and he will take over in their ball game. That's still to be determined. Of course, we have some games Saturday or well, today that need to be played out to, to determine that. Um, now, this is a smart move uh, considering that Kelly was already looking to poach the staff, uh, po poach the staff for his staff at LSU which kind of would have been tacky, kind of like an insult to injury in my opinion too, but that's just kind of the way that they do. Um, now, Freeman had played a linebacker at Ohio State and was also an assistant, a defensive assistant at Kent State and Purdue, excuse me, until joining Luke Fickle in Cincinnati. He would spend four, see, damn, some more, see, there's a Cincinnati connection with Notre Dame. Now, that's crazy. He would spend four seasons there, um, and in one season with the Irish, just this season here, uh, they would finish six in interceptions with 15. They would finish fourth in defensive, sorry, they would finish sixth in defensive touchdowns with four. They also finished seventh in sacks with 40. Uh, they also were 11th in turnover scores with 23, and uh, they also, I believe, were uh, 11th in points allowed a game as well, which is a little bit over 18. They would uh, finish the season allowing just two touchdowns in the final four games of the year. And Notre Dame is entering the offseason with the number five best recruiting class. So, again, there's some things going well for this team right now. Freeman looks like a young coach. I mean, he's a young coach, I believe, you know, like mid, early 30s. But he's ready to take over. He's young. He's bringing some youth. Uh, this is some the guys that I know the least of defensive players are used to. And it's a good fit because, again, uh, they had to be worth something if, if Kelly was trying to get them for his for his new job. So, again, Notre Dame stops that poaching. And, again, they keep, you know, the, the, the minds within, the great minds, at least the play-calling minds within their staff. And I think that's a smart thing to do, particularly with, again, they're having a top-five recruiting class. Um, that's that's probably the best, the best thing to do right now. Um, Again, it looks like they'll be keeping their offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese. You know, so that's that's a good move on them, too. And he was actually being pursued by LSU as well. So um, they hold on to their coaches, and uh, they are looking to to go into the future, into this ball game. Uh, finally, I wanted to share this interesting story with y'all because it was very deep on a couple of different levels, at least for me personally. Um, during last week's big game versus Ohio State and Michigan, Former players from both schools and athletes in general from both schools will gather outside the home or have been, uh, you know, um, gathering outside the home of Michigan President Mark Schlissel and to basically shed light on sexual abuse that he has allowed during his tenure as uh, well as sexual abuse uh, cases at Ohio State as well. Now, this has been led by former Michigan running back John, uh, John, Vaughn, John Vaughn, who has uh, since formed a survivor solidarity group with members from both of these schools. And uh, this is a quote coming from former Ohio State wrestler Tim Lissy. And uh, again, this is, you know, a very profound quote to me. Uh, he went on to say, toxic masculinity is an overused term, but I'm putting my name on this because... Some other man is out there struggling with their own trauma and the stigma attached. And, I, you know, I totally understand that because 
again, it's the society is taught to kind of downplay sexual abuse amongst men almost to the point where, you know, we we almost, you know, joke or we, you know, almost push these guys and make, you know, there's certain, you know, again, there's a lot of stigma placed on that, you know. Um, it's hard it, for me as a victim of that type of stuff. It was hard for me to be open with people because I didn't want those, you know, labels being thrown at me because it's almost, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, sexual abuse against anybody is wrong, but instead of, you know, getting that sympathy as a man, there's almost this, Oh, you know, it's almost like you're lying or, you know, there's more implications to that, you know, and it's just, and it's a lack of empathy for you. It definitely is. And I don't like that. And that's why I sided with these guys. And I really felt, uh, felt some type of way when I read this, this story, because again, I'm a victim of that. And, um, it's hard to really talk about, particularly if it was done by another man. And, um, you know, again, there's so many other implications that go on along with that. And it wouldn't matter at what time it happened to you in your, in your life, in your life, it, it would just be almost assumed, you know, th things about you, you know, about you because of that. And, you know, that's not fair for men. Men, you know, men don't other people, you know, women don't have to necessarily worry about that stigma. So, um, again, this all stems from, um, two, two big figures, uh, within the medical staffs of both schools for Ohio state. This was Dr. Richard Strauss. Um, he had faced many accusations as, uh, you know, as well. And this was coming from 177 male students from 1979 to 1996 with school officials failing to take any action uh, despite, like I said, numerous reports of his misconduct. Students would describe numerous unnecessary and want unwanted genital exams regardless of medical status. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? What was wrong with this guy? In 1996, he was only suspended in January after a student accused him of fondling his genitals during an examination. At which he was allowed to, he was allowed back on the staff and allowed to retire voluntarily. He would then later commit suicide in 2005. Now, Michigan team doctor Robert Anderson would assault hundreds of Michigan athletes, male and female, from 1996 to 2003. Uh, prominent members of the football and basketball team. On top of that, now, this is included just like with you know Dr. Strauss filing unnecessary rectal and genital exams, etc. Now, again, that's a problem. Now, we can joke about that. We can make fun of that. That's okay in society, right? But if you, you know, again, if you were to joke about this happening to a woman, you, you know, you're sexist, you're a pig, you deserve to be canceled. It's all the same thing, yo. That's fucked up. This is why it's hard for motherfuckers to talk about it. Because we're going to be judged. We're going to be made fun of and degraded. Vaughn and other players uh, representing both schools have spent up to seven weeks pretty much protesting outside the man's home, uh, uh, President Slusher. Now, just to, like I said, to bring light to all this stuff that's going on as he's been president. You know, Robert Anderson has been his, well, has been serving the Michigan medical, medical staff uh, he served in 1996 from 2000 from 1996 to 2003 all throughout Slisher's tenure. tenure uh, I believe he's still there, and so which is an un unfortunate you know occurrence. And I wanted to speak on it because again, 
modern media and a lot of media in general is not going to talk about this. They they turn a blind eye to this. Um, for some reason, it's supposed to be laughed at or made fun of, but it's wrong, and uh, this should be this should be exposed as well. On top of all the other things we want to we want to become woke to, and uh, sexual assault and violence is wrong against men and women. And uh, that's my final thoughts here. All right, y'all, I'm going to take one last quick break. And when I get back, I'll be breaking down the MLB. Of course, we have the lockout to speak about. And I also want to talk about the all MLB team. And we're going to be I'm going to be shedding my thoughts on what's going on in the free agency market so far up until the stoppage, at least. All right, y'all, I will be right back. Alright y'all, before I wrap everything up, of course, I wanted to break down all the news going on so far in Major League Baseball. Now, earlier in the week, around midnight, Thursday morning, Wednesday night, however you want to call it, the collecting bargaining agreement between the MLB and the Players Association, aka the union, dissolved, and with no resolutions in the immediate future, a lockout has ensued for the first time in 25 years. Since it's during the offseason, players will not get paid but will unable to be unable to remain in contact with any team. This includes free agency, no contract negotiations, and even use of team facilities. Now there's three months between now of the twenty twenty two season, so the likelihood of this affecting any games is kinda kinda low. Um, at the very worst it could, you know, push back the start of spring training. Uh but at the very least, that's that's the very least it could do. Now, one of the biggest issues facing the players now is the league's use of analytics. And pretty much analytics, um, in layman's terms, I guess, are just extra stats. Um, you know, there's, man, it's, there's so many ways to look at stats in baseball and in basketball, and they try to use it in football as well. Just analytics are just these extra layer of stats. Are they necessary? Are they not? I, I don't know in particular. Uh, you have some people that swear for them. You have some people that are vehemently against them. But the players have a problem because they feel it undermines a veteran player's true value. Um, and this is especially for second or third tier players. Uh, players across the board want to, want to be paid more in their prime. I understand that. Um, my thing about that, particularly with the use of analytics, is, um, you know, I think, you know, the players should be going into the league knowing that already and, you know, be put in a situation, you know, with a farm system that understands the value of analytics and has their players understanding of that. 
So as much as I see where the players are coming from, I still think at the end of the day, I mean, it's just part of where the game is headed. And the good the good franchises in their farm system, they're they're telling their players and training their players about the importance of these of such of these such stats and making sure that they're aware of them, the good ones, the good franchises. So I feel for the players, but I also feel like the franchise needs to be, you know, we need to handle their business maybe and really get these players on the right track starting, you know, in the minors because again, um, you know, for the most part, the majority of players drafted by the MLB are going to the minors, uh, as opposed to the NFL, who has no minor league, and for the for basketball, whose minor league is really ref, you know reserved for you know those who are undrafted and mostly your second round players and your fringe number ones. But you know, there's a few more people that are going to end up in the M- NBA right away, as opposed to the MLB, is what I'm saying. So they have a they have time to 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 develop into those players. Um, players also complain that the league is placing players in the minors for several weeks to slow down MLB service time. Again, uh, service time adds into you know your your incentives on your contracts. You know it'll affect your base pay. So those things I do understand. Understand, excuse me. Um, another big issue is tanking. Uh, players feel that constant team rebuilding is limiting payrolls. I also agree with that because, again, you know you're not. You know, f- you know if your team is an underperforming team, more times than not, you're not paying them anything. Or you know these are low, you know low scale deals, and in that way, you know the owners and the GMs, you know, help save the team money. And again, you supposedly store up this, you know, this wealth of you know, rookie talent, but eventually you have to pay this talent. So, you know, it, it's weird because if you want to develop, see the whole thing about developing home start, you know, home grown talent or drafting and all that is that particularly, I mean, I would imagine in, in, in the, in major league baseball where you have minor leagues is to truly get the best and develop your players, you know, and spend that time to develop your players. So, you know, at some point, yeah, tanking is fine, but after, you know, a season, you know, and I can understand you just being garbage for a season and looking into a first-round pick, but after that season or two of you just kind of, you know, being bad, eventually you're supposed to want to be, you're supposed to be building these players up into something, and they're supposed to be getting better. So, you know, I, I definitely see where, where the players have a problem with that. Now, the league is concerned, personally, with just making more money. And how they plan on doing this is they want to expand the playoffs to 14 teams. That's it. They talking about competitiveness, all this. No, they just want to make more money. That's it. The best team in each division will get a first. Uh, sorry, the best, the team with the best record uh, in each league gets a first round bye. With the other divisional winners will be with the other divisional winners choosing their wild card opponents. That's what the league wants to do. As you can see, the league wants one thing. The players want a few completely different things. I don't think there's so much of an impasse as opposed to just these guys being out of touch, meaning they want completely different things. I mean, um, is there some sort of uh, common ground? I would, I w- don't see why there couldn't be. Um, you know, I think what the, what, what the players are demanding for is, you know, contract-related and money-related. MLB is is doing financially okay. I don't think it's money right now in the sense of 
they're strapped. The minor leagues might be strapped, but not so much the major leagues. Uh, the major league, yeah, the major leagues. So, uh, you know, I, I think if, you know, they come together, level head should prevail. I mean, again, you have two or three months to figure things out. It shouldn't drastically offset anything in terms of the big schedule. So, uh, not so much of a big issue here, but again, it does freeze free agency. It does freeze all these other, you know, contract negotiations and other things going on right now in terms of player um, movement. But speaking of free agency, let's get into that a little bit. Um, I'm going to break down uh, some of the major moves uh, that were made, uh, at least some of the few. There wasn't a whole lot, but there were a couple. Uh, now, the Rangers make a few good moves here. They bring in Corey Seager's, Corey Seager, excuse me, uh, signed up to a 10-year con- contract, $325 million. Uh, last season with the Dodgers, he would hit a 306 average, 390. He had a 394 on base percentage and a 521 slugging with a 925 OPS. He'd have 16 home runs, 57 RBIs, and 54 runs scored. They also will bring in Marcus Simeon, second baseman, to a seven-year contract, 175 million. Last year with the Blue Jays, uh, he would have a 265 average, 534 on base, 554 slugging. 872 OPS, uh, 7.3 wins above average. So he was very valuable for the for that team last year. Um, of course, we talked about him. Uh, we will be talking. Well, there's another fact about him. He hit a position uh, record uh, home runs in the season. So he the most home he hit the ho- most home runs in the season uh, for a second baseman. So really standout player last year for the Blue Jays. Joined up with the Texas Rangers. Moving on, we got John Gray. Uh, he signed a four-year deal worth $56 million, uh, 4.59 ERA last year, 1.3 whip. Decent uh, pitcher here, uh, you know, definitely going to be added to that rotation that they have right now. Uh, they also bring in outfielder Cole Calhoun, signed into a one-year deal worth $5 million. Uh, sorry, yes, $5 million. Uh, he would have hit a 235 last year, 297, also 373 uh Stat slash. He also would have a six uh, six seventy OPS, so a decent player offensively. Again, he adds some depth to that outfield. Uh, Detroit they pull in a couple of solid gems, including Javier Baez. They signed to a six year one hundred and forty million dollar contract. Uh, two sixty five three nineteen four ninety four is what he was hitting last year with the Mets, along with an eight thirteen OPS, thirty one thirty one home runs, eighty seven RB, sorry eighty seven RBIs and eighty runs scored from him. Uh, we also got Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, he is going to the, the Tigers as well. Five years, $77 million, 4.74 ERA last year with a 1.34 whip and 185 strikeouts. Some other big moves. Uh, we got Max Scherzer headed to the Mets for three years, $130 million. We got Kevin Gosman signing with the Blue Jays, five years, $110 million. And we also got Noah Syndergaard uh, taking his challenge to the City of Angels. Well, actually, Anaheim. Uh, he goes to L.A. for for just one year and $21 million. A uh, few of the top free agents available. Of course, there's a, f- a few more out there, uh, but uh, we have third baseman Chris Bryant. Last year with the Giants, he hit 265, 553, and a four. He had a 481 slugging percentage, 835 OPS, 25 home runs, 73 RBIs, and 86 runs scored. Uh, we also got shortstop Carlos Correa, 
279-366-485 slash. Uh, we also have an 850 OPS with 26 home runs, 92 RBIs, 104 runs scored. Of course, leading uh, the Astros to get a, another divisional title and a deep playoff run. And finally, we got Carlos Rodon, 13-5 last season with a 2.37 ERA, 0.95 whip with 105 strikeouts. So again, there's some good talented players out there. Who's gonna get them? I don't know. We'll have to find this out. Uh, finally, wrapping everything up, we're gonna go through the all MLB team for 2021. Let's start off with the first team. We have catcher Salvador Perez of the Royals. We have first baseman Vlad Guerrero of the Blue Jays. Pretty much the biggest story of the season next to Shuei Otani. Uh, Tied with Salvador Perez for the home run title, 48 with 48 homers. He led the majors in run score with 123. He also led the AL in OPS with 1.02. And he also this is his, this is also his second selection to the All MLB team. Up next we have second baseman Marcus Simeon, who of course signed with the Rangers. He set a single single season record for home run home runs by a second baseman with 45. 8.75 sorry 0.875 OPS with 102 OPIs and 113 runs scored. Up next we have at third base Austin Riley for the Braves. As uh, shortstop we have Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres. In the outfield we have Juan Soto of the Nationals who led the MLB in on-base percentage last season with a 465. He also drew 145 walks. He would have 29 home runs, 95 runs scored, and for the second straight time, he's been selected to the first team All-MLB. We also got Bryce Harper of the Phillies, Aaron Judge of the Yankees. At the DH spot, we have Shuei Otani of the Angels. And uh, for our starting pitchers, we have Max Serzer, uh, who currently signed of course, with the Mets, we have Kerbin Bournes of the Brewers. We have Robbie Ray. Uh, he is he recently ended up signing. I can't remember who he ended up signing with, though. But he did end up signing a contract as well. He's no longer a free agent. But I just can't remember what he signed. But anyways, we got Walker Bueller of the Dodgers. We got Garrett Cole of the Yankees. 343 ERA last season, 243 uh, strikeouts. Uh, he had the AO. Uh, he had the best uh, strikeout to walk ratio in the AL with a 5.83. And he's also in the he was also second in the AL Cy Young voting. As far as the relief pitchers are concerned, we have Josh Hader of the Brewers and uh, Liam Hendricks of the Chicago White Sox, 2.54 ERA. He has the best whip in all of baseball with a 0.73, and he's a he's first in the American League in saves with 38. And uh, he had a 42.43% 42 strikeout rate, which was, uh, which was the best in the American League as well. Let's move on to the second team. We have catcher Buster Posey. He recently retired, but he did play for the Giants. Had a great year. Uh, this, this, he had a great season um, that, just wrapped, that just wrapped up. At first base, we have Freddie Freeman. Uh, he is currently a free agent as well. Uh, we have that second base, Ozzy Albiez, his teammate with the Braves. We have third baseman, Rafael Devers of the Red Sox. This is a career career high year for him in home runs. He hit 38. He also hit 113 RBIs and had 101, 101 
run sword. He also had an 890 OPS. Uh, we also got Trey Turner of the Dodgers at shortstop. In the outfield, we have Nick Castellanos of the Reds. Uh, this year, he had a career best at batting average at 309. He also had a career best on base percentage, 362. Uh, he also had a career best slugging percentage at 576, as well as a career high in home runs, 34. It's also This is also his first all-MLB selection. We also got Kyle Tucker of the Astros and Teoscar Hernandez of the Blue Jays. Moving on to the starting pitchers, we got Shuei Otani of the Angels and Julio Arias of the Dodgers. Won 20 games last season, the best in, the, in all of baseball. He also had a 2.96 ERA and a 138 ERA+. Plus. We also got Kevin Gaussman of, I think now, of the... We just said it, the Blue Jays. We got Max Freed of the Braves, Zach Wheeler of the Phillies. And as far as the relief uh, relief goes of the second team, we have Rysel Iglesias of the Angels and also Kenley Jansen of the Dodgers. All right, y'all. I am going to call it a wrap for today. I'll be leaving some links available for you guys. As far as what else I got going on, uh, we have some YouTube stuff coming out this week. Uh, we also, as far as my next episode here on the podcast, we'll be going through some more college football. Uh, we also are going to be going over some college basketball and the NBA as well. And, of course, uh, we got to get into NFL Week 13, I believe. Yeah, we are at Week 13. So we've made it. Well, we, we are making it to the end of the season. And, uh, yeah, if anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I'll highlight you guys later.